Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How are you guys doing? Good? So anyway, uh, thanks a lot for listening. Uh, it's Dr. Lisa. It's Radio Free Brooklyn coming to you from uh, Bushwick, Brooklyn, the greatest city in the world. Uh, I um, Let me just get the uh, housekeeping over with that uh, we are, you know, we are in a big fundraising part in a big fundraising push right now. Did you know that? Because everybody's been telling you about it. Uh, so we're doing a drive to five campaign and because we're going to be five years old in May and we the station of the the future of the station is not that stable, folks. We need money and we do a lot of really good things and we do um, music, politics, talk, comedy, all sorts of stuff and help please keep us on the air. Go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. Okay, so today's going to be a very interesting, special day. I have um, a really amazing um, performer for you, performer, podcast. I can't even – I have his Wikipedia page, okay? That's how I'm going to start. And uh, he's, he's an American comedian, Kevin Allison. And he is a – he started out on the state, you know, that comedy show on the state – on MTV, and uh, he has this really, really, really amazing, outrageous, no boundaries audio podcast risk. And it's also a live show, and he's been doing it since 2009. And he had, he does a show, you know, he does his own stories, and then he also like does, does it regularly in LA and New York and all these different places. And after you hear about him today, or hear his story, you're going to want to like get him into your own hometown. But you can see him at Caveat every month. Um, so anyway, I think we're just going to get right into it. But okay, so here's the deal. Kevin, should I tell them what happened? <laughs> yeah, should right I? Ahead. Should I just like tell them what happened? Okay. Yeah. yeah okay, because you don't even know what happened, Kevin. Um, I was so nervous about having you on, I forgot my phone, and mm. I had to run home and get it. I live like two oh. minutes two minutes away. So, okay, folks, here's the deal. So, Kevin Allison is on the show today. It's a big deal. Right, Kevin? I mean, you understand it's a big deal, right? Your show gets like a million downloads a month, and mine gets like 110, <laughs> right? It's a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. I need as much help as I can possibly get with my scheduling. Uh, you know, like you and I have been emailing back and forth. And at one point, I think I think we mixed up like saying Thursday the 6th and the 6th is Friday. And, and, and uh, anyway, it, was one of, it was one of those things where I think I actually wrote it down in my calendar correctly, but then in my brain – I was thinking Friday. So so ultimately, it's my fault that I am not sitting there well, in that studio. You know what, Kevin? This is such a beautiful example about like how your vulnerability is making me feel stronger and more confident and more. You're actually helping my self-esteem. 
because I do that all the time and I mix up places and stuff like that. And I've like a reputation for it, but knowing that you do it and you're able to do everything you've done makes is like help. You've already helped me today. Okay. Oh, I will say that I didn't know that I had ADD until I was officially diagnosed with it. Um, like last year. Really? But I spent my entire life, my entire childhood, um, being one of those people who always thought, oh my gosh, my brain can't keep track of details. I can't. Right. I always felt like, oh my gosh, everyone else right. can do basic scheduling stuff and keeping track of money and just all these yeah. things that a lot of people kind of take for granted. I mean, everyone struggles with time management sure. and detail-oriented stuff to some degree. Yeah. But for but for people with ADD, it can be so overwhelming. Right. That like you just shut down to a I, certain extent. I know, and then you're and then people think you're st- this is what happened to me. People thought I was like stupid, right? Does that do you know what right. I'm saying? Especially yes. as a child. As as a, yeah. as the youngest Jewish as the youngest daughter in a Jew family where the oldest was a boy. You can imagine what it was like. I felt like a fucking moron. Oh, it's all right. Yeah. It's all right because it's all good now. I've used it. We're here. We're here right now and that's all that fucking matters. Yes, so, and I will say that, you know, uh, kind of owning that uh, and asking for help, asking for help was huge for me because uh, at a certain point, when I first created Risk, my podcast and live show, I I recognized right away. I was like, okay, in order to make this what I really and truly believe it can become, I am going to need to find some people who really get it. Right. Really love it and really appreciate me, but who have the kind of, but whose brains work differently from mine and can right. help me keep track of stuff. Right. So it's important to remember that too, that not to be afraid to reach out, ask for help, look for ways that you can work with people who's, you know, have strengths where you have weaknesses. Right. Right. And give them something back. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, folks, I'm not talking to you, Kevin, now I'm talking to them. Um, I, so here's the deal, folks. So Kevin, Kevin has been, you know, like, so we're going to do this on the phone, which is great, which is fine. So the way we set it up was Kevin was going to tell one of his stories and then we were going to psychoanalyze it. And, you know, because I and Kevin, you know this, right? I was going to tell, remind everybody, I'm a self-proclaimed psychotherapist. Uh huh. Did you know that? I don't have, like, I don't have a license. I just ha- have to make sure you know that, and everybody knows it's that. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, um, but um, before we do that, like, I didn't really like. Normally, what I do is I get, I do the intro and a little intro, and then I want you to do a little intro on yourself because we didn't really have a pre-interview and tell people what where to go and look for your stuff and all that. We do that first. Absolutely, absolutely. Cool. So go ahead, tell us about yourself and oh. where <laughs> we can find your before we do okay. this, so we so, don't. Yeah, so- mm-hmm. 
So I create an audio podcast called Risk, and it's a show where people tell true stories that they never thought they'd dare to share in public. The idea is, you know, there are shows out there that are very narrative, like The Moth or This American Life or Snap Judgment, but all of those are family-friendly for radio, for public radio, I saw, because I'm a very kinky, very out gay man, uh, that there was, a, that there was a, a hole to be filled there for a podcast where people tell stories that they would actually tell to their therapist that are not necessarily family-friendly, where, you know, the things in our lives, like, Sex or violence or trauma or, or cannibalism, or fucking cannibalism, <laughs> Jesus. But also very funny. Orgies. Yeah, I mean, mortifyingly embarrassing. Oh, great stuff. Are a little bit, you know, hard to to you know sometimes you know, outrageous language and stuff like that. Well, so, you didn't. Okay, I also want everybody to know how well produced and how well thought out the show is because it's like every story is really well thought out and like it's 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 really like it's so entertaining. Thank you so much. Yeah, it takes, you know, we always feel like the show should be five times more popular than it is. We put a lot a lot of work, you know, it's it's a show that has you know we started with a budget of zero, um, but we put so much tender loving care into the preparation of the stories. We do a lot of coaching, and you know yeah. you were saying that you're an you know unlicensed therapist. Uh, that's what we have become on my staff. Yeah, in the way in the way that we help people prep these stories, we've had to learn. Oh, this is how people sometimes behave when they've got PTSD or, right. oh my gosh, this person is maybe a little bit on the spectrum. So, so we're going to have to work with them being able to go into this kind of. So you're coaching you, as we go. Right. And you help the people like the people aren't always storytellers. They're people that have had really extraordinary experiences. And that's what I think is on. And you help them develop their story. And I think that yeah. is really, I mean, that is, that's a big deal because you're not just getting like other entertainers and stuff like that, which I think exactly. is really well, awesome. Yeah, we do have, you know, we do have comedians and yeah. writers come on, but yeah, uh, many of the most memorable stories that have been shared on the show have been shared by people who have never stepped foot on a stage before. So, yeah, it's very exciting that way. It's a yeah. story meritocracy. It's a story meritocracy. Yeah, it, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And we always have both storytellers and listeners talk about the show being therapeutic for them. You sure. know? Someone just emailed me today. I haven't seen the email yet, but someone on the staff alerted me. They were saying, hey, you got to check it out. Someone emailed and said they were raped and said that listening to the show really helped them process it because they had heard those kinds of stories on it before. We get those kinds of emails yeah. all the time. It's a yeah. It is a service. I mean, it is. It really is. It's a really... Yeah. So we're... We, Kevin, you and I are both in the like... The the world of like, don't keep it to yourself, share it, yeah, you know, like yeah. we're all better off if we just like put it out there and like 
no, like, forget about any shame. Like, there is no shame. No shame. Unless, you know, <laughs> well, there's some. I mean, like, you know, like the president or whatever. But if you really own it and, you know, and you have compassion and forgiveness and stuff, just put it out there. Um, and I wanted to ask you about therapy. Have you been in therapy? I know that you've been in therapy. Have you been in therapy a lot or? I have. I've had, I've had a mixed range of experiences with therapy. The first therapy I ever tried was gay group therapy. Uh, so it was gay men and the woman who was the therapist running the group was a lesbian, and she was very, very quiet and very, she was not, she didn't have a dominating presence in the room. Mm -hmm. And this was a very, um, it was kind of like the equivalent of Sanders and Warren supporters (laughs) yelling at each other on Twitter. It was this weirdly acrimonious group, and it got out of control, and the therapist left us. What? What? Yeah, yeah. She went off to have a baby and sent a replacement therapist in her place. And then after a couple of sessions, the replacement therapist said, you know what? She said she doesn't want to return. So the group broke up with you. You know what? See, that's exactly why I am so cynical about therapy. I mean, I have stories like that, too. You know, there's no Yelp for therapists. And a lot of them, anybody can get the degree. Right. Right. It's it's very. You know what I found is what I. What, I'm always encouraging people to go into therapy, but I always say, don't just go with the first person you sit down with. Think of it like dating. All yeah. You really have to find the right person. Like uh, it, when I turned thirty, I was with a Jungian therapist, and Ooh. a lot of good came from that. That was very mm-hmm. fascinating, mm-hmm. but. She was a little bit sex negative. She was a little bit conservative about sexuality. And I am <laughs> such a kinky sexual person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it developed into a mom thing. Like, oh. I have a lot of... Uh, my mom is incredibly sex negative and that So that's a big oh. thing that I... Yeah, so, so that, that drama was unfolding between me and her. So finally, when I turned 43 or 44, I decided I hadn't been in therapy for, I don't know, maybe 10 years at that point. Mm-hmm. But I, I had, where I was at on my journey in kink, because I always think of BDSM, of being in the kink community and mm-hmm. trying new things and mm-hmm. meeting new people. I always think of it as a journey. Yeah. Uh, with it- with a lot of, like, a lot of kink play can be very psychodynamic. You know? Yeah. Well, it, uh, it ha- it's almost like an, I mean, I'm going to say it's sort of an art form, isn't it? Because it is a journey and there is development and there is personal growth and you have a relationship with the form, right? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. It's like having can, an art and, project. And you can, you can screw up and you yeah. can get screwed up by other people. Sure. You, know, you, you can, it's a Pandora's box. So yeah. I I met I I met for lunch my friend Melina Williams who is a kink educator and just a brilliant person. She told an amazing story on Risk called Slave about 
race play, about uh, dominant and submissive role play where people's race is a factor. It, oh. there, was a play on, there was a play that was just on Broadway mm-hmm. called Slave Play that dealt with that exact Right. Same so they acknowledge it directly. They acknowledge, like, directly in the in the relationship, like, their race yes, and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, That's you're, part you're of the deal. You're playing with race as a mm-hmm. part of what you're talking right. about in the play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, Melina, she told this incredible story on Risk called Slave. Mm-hmm. And we became close. And, and I went out to lunch with her one day, or dinner, I can't remember. And I said, I really feel like I need a new therapist. And she said, have you heard of Kink Aware Professionals? Wow. network online where you can find therapists or doctors or other people like lawyers, you know, who uh, are in the BDSM community. Mm-hmm. So I found my current therapist who I've been with for, I think, four years mm. now. Mm-hmm. And he, it's very interesting because he is about my age mm-hmm. and also a gay man. And he studied his, his whole life's work is researching kink he's written books about it oh yeah and so it's fascinating because i feel like i feel like my therapist is now like a peer i feel like my therapist is now like a a more educated friend Mm -hmm. (laughs) who who can like totally relate to what i'm talking about has a lot of like research behind it right i've been very happy with this new yeah uh, therapy setup that I'm in now. Well, I think I think what you're involved in to me seems like complicated if you don't you do have to really understand it in order to it's a culture. Like if I was if I like went if you were a shrink and you went to like you know, uh, South America, you'd have to learn about the culture there before you could do therapy, what things mean, how things affect people emotionally and that guy knows. Oh, absolutely. He has a big, broad perspective. Yeah. And I think Mm -hmm. that men, like, uh, I I might be making a generalization, Mm -hmm. but I think that men have a tendency to avoid, uh, like, opening up and communicating and, and, like, being more, like, uh, vulnerable about... Uh, just like unpacking stuff and processing stuff no. together. So I think I, I, I think that the the kink community is mm. extremely blessed by the presence of women. I think that we I think that gay men are starting to learn. I think the whole kink community learned a lot from gay men. You know, mm-hmm. like like in, in the sixties and seventies, gay men were like the avant garde of kink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when the internet came around, I think that a lot of straight people and lesbians and like, you know, people of all all around the spectrum started exploring kink more publicly in a mm-hmm. bigger way. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're now at a place where gay men are starting to learn from women's intuitions and insights and mm-hmm. the, just the way that that a lot of women are just more... I don't know, eloquent about saying, hey, you know what? When you run into this sort of situation, mm-hmm. it might be time 
to take a time out and process what's going on between the two of you. You know, it's like right. just, like a lot of men just don't have that uh, tendency. So right. yeah, it's 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 understanding that for me as a gay man in, involved in a lot of kink, kink activity, I have to keep in mind. Keep in mind, this guy might not want to really process and talk and understand right. this stuff, but we really got to do that, you know. Well, now you know what I go through. Now you know what I go through with my husband. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So do you there want you to, go. so we were going to, you were going to tell a story, our plan. You were going to tell yeah. a story and then we're going to psychoanalyze it together, right? Yeah. Does now, that sound good? I'm kind of excited about it. Yeah, and you know what? I would say you can feel free to interrupt me too. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think it would be more fun oh. uh, if 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 you felt like you could do that too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I could tell the story straight through, but you know, since we're both we're both here, each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll speak up. Yeah, um, sure, sure, sure. So, give us a little intro. What were you going to? Uh... What this did you pick story. out? Yeah, this is, um, it's a story that I first told while my husband and I were still together, mm-hmm. but I keep, I keep telling the story mm-hmm. because I really feel that stories are well worth returning to years later because mm-hmm. our, our histories change, our perspectives mm. change. Mm. And, you know, so, so I, so I still tell this story to this day, even though in some ways, you know, some people might think, Oh, that's kind of outdated now. But anyway, but it's like rereading a book and as in like, you know, that, yeah, totally. You're okay. One, right. one question and, and then, just to get perspective. Yeah. So this is somebody you were married to, and how long were you married and how long were you divorced, just so we can have some perspective? How long since you've been married? Well, we got together. We were together all all together for nine years. Okay. Okay, guys, that's a solid, that's a solid relationship. Yeah, and then we separated uh, ten years ago, nine or ten years ago. But you're still good friends. We are still good friends. It's so great. It's so great. And have you had other long-term relationships since? You know, I have not had an intimate relationship on this level since then. I have had, I would say, more casual relationships since then. Is that something Um, you've discussed in therapy as well? Oh, yeah. Oh, a lot. A lot. I would like to have a relationship on this level of, you know, it was an open relationship that we had, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but there was no, you know, it was very clear. We were primary partners. You know, we didn't, we didn't even think of ourselves as polyamorous, to be honest with you. We thought of ourselves as having an open relationship in that we could have sexual encounters with other people, but not really seriously, dating other people mm-hmm. now i think of myself as being more polyamorous mm-hmm. uh, which might be uh, something that affects it, it might be that navigating that terrain of the polyamorous world and 
people who think of themselves that way, it, like it might be that I and or th- some of the people that I have become close to since then have have you know been confused or trying to figure out you know dipping our toes in like wait how serious do we want to get and what does it mean to have a you know a, a casual versus a more serious relationship so you know yeah it's 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 well an also going process being being part of the kink community I mean. It's so funny because you're like somebody that is like publicly just completely intimate with the public in a way, right? Well, yes, in a way. In a way, with your own bound, where you have control. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing for me to navigate because as the host of Risk, uh, part of my job is to be as transparent and authentic as I can be, mm-hmm. and that is that is that's an, that is always a challenge because I get depressed very often. Sure, I don't want to sound depressed sure. on the show. You're a performer. Yeah, I will sometimes have profound experiences that I would love to be telling the audience about, but that I feel like, uh, it would really be like the person I'm going through this with would feel like it was really, you know, um, too much to be revealing. They wouldn't appreciate that. Or, or maybe there is really something about it where I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready for people to know that about me. Well, so all the yeah, all but of that is always a struggle. But what's really funny to me is how, um, and I don't mean this in in a, in like any kind of. I'm afraid to use this word aggressive, but I'm going to use it, and I think you understand. You, yeah, I mean it in in the kindest way. Um, I mean the most respectful way. I'll say that for sure. Is that um, you are very aggressive about being intimate in public. But I wonder if that's also inversely sort of uncomfortable for you when you're alone with somebody, you know, like like a performer who, um, you know, like how people are so introverted but extroverted at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So you may be like, you may have such a drive to put, be intimate in public because you repress it or you're afraid or you avoid it on a one-to-one basis. Is that kind of what? Oh my God. Let me tell you that whole like Judy Garland thing. Like uh, put me on a stage (laughs) in front of of 400 people and I can talk about the most vulnerable stuff. Right. The moment, the moment I step off of that stage and have to go into the green room and socialize with just like four or five people, the social anxiety. <gasps> wow. Um, I, I will say that, that you know, I, I don't know how much I buy uh, astrology, mm-hmm. but the description of Aquarius, I am mm-hmm. an Aquarius, mm-hmm. the description, oh, this person wants to reach out to all of humanity but we'll keep you at arm's length. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's you. Right. Now, do your partners, exactly me. do the people that you're dating talk about that? Do they say like, how can you, how come you're so like this with me when you're that? Do they notice that? Oh my goodness. Well, They're my t- husband used to be 
very aware, oh, Kevin really needs to go into his own universe. Kevin really needs, like, off time where, and, and uh, you know, the thing that disappoints me the most, mm-hmm. about it, and I, I was confessing this to, you know, J.C. Cassis is pretty much my best friend. She's the producer of Risk, and we talk oh, yeah, about every. Oh, yeah, I know who. Who, oh, I think JC has been on your show before. Yeah, well, her, her, her song, her song, yeah. But uh, wow. Chris, Chris is working with her, Chris Gersbach, the great oh, yeah, Chris yeah, yeah. Gersbach, who we love. <laughs> That's great. Anyway, so I, I was confessing to her the other day when we were talking uh, that I feel bad because I'm a very... I mean, I'm not bipolar, but I am kind of manic, depressive in mood swing. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad that the public gets positive, uh, you know, whatever, uh, all very good energy, Kevin. And oftentimes, right. the people I am very closest to, they have to deal with all my negativity, my fatalism, my depression, my, you know, like... Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then the people who are closest to you are so annoyed. They're like, Kevin, everybody... Right? God. (laughs) So annoyed. It's like, you know, you're really fun. People don't know what you're like. They think you're fun, fun, fun all the time. Do you like question, like, I mean, I'm like this, and I always wonder about people who... Like, you know, like you, somebody who I really, you know, think like, wow, like you've accomplished so much. And I always think like, I wonder if they feel like they're just like they're not getting it done the way I feel like I'm not getting it done. Do you do you feel like that sometimes? Like, do you like do you like go like you don't like sit around going like, wow, I got a hundred. I got a million podcasts, a million downloads. Oh, my God. You're like, I'm no. fucking failing. I didn't get invited to the to the, you know, Kennedy Center or something. <laughs> yeah, JC talks to me about this all the time. She's like she, she said, listen, there will never be an amount of downloads that you're happy with. Like totally. you always feel like you're failing. Totally. So, yeah. I'm so happy. You don't know. I mean, I love you for saying that. I just am so happy to hear you say that. No, no, no. I mean, yeah, that's I what think, I think. I think gratitude is, uh, is actually kind of a I think it's a really interesting. Oh, I think I think that one of the things that frustrates me about gratitude is that I feel like kind of like, you know, the more you meditate, the more acclimated to getting into a meditative space you become. I think the same is true for for stuff like gratitude. Yeah, that you almost have to kind of train. It's cognitive. Cognitive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm. I will say, at 50 years old, I I feel like I've got a lot of strengthening of that to do. Mm, yeah, mm. yeah. But aren't you a little? I mean, because I'm a, I'm not at the level you are, but I mean, I'm still like that. I probably would be if I ever got there. But like, don't you feel like? I think there's part of me that um, feels like if I give up that 
whatever that is that, you know, like, oh, pushing yourself not good enough thing, um, that I will actually fall behind. Oh, oh my God. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, I, I, I was talking. This, this is another thing that came up in my conversation with Jay-Z just the other day. In the state, so so after I graduated from NYU in 1992, mm-hmm. my sketch comedy group, The State, uh, got a show on MTV. So we were yeah. super, 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 super lucky, super and, blessed. And also incredibly well-respected. That's like in the, you know, history of comedy, isn't it? I mean, it's a really, oh, yeah, really, yeah. it's a really important um, show. It is. Yeah, a lot of young comedians were yeah. very, very influenced by The State. Yeah. But the thing of it was that group, it was a group of 11. That is a huge group for yeah. a creative, you know, supposedly right. egalitarian democratic group of people. Um, and it, it what it ran on fear. It ran. What do you on mean? What do you mean? We all, we, the reason we were able to like keep producing such incredible content is we were terrified of, Oh my gosh! If if I don't write an incredible sketch, then one of the other of the eleven of us will oh, write no. an incredible. So it created all yeah. this competition, oh. and kind of you know. It, so the fear kind of fueled and drove us, and it helped us to create an incredible amount of incredible material. But eventually, it killed us. Eventually, it got to the point where you know. Any creative person or creative group is going to have ups and downs. Yeah. And if you run on fear too much, then when the down times come, that can sink you, you know? You mean if as you a group? Don't. As a group? Oh, yeah. You yeah. all wound up doubting yourselves as a group? Yeah, exactly. What, what happened was we quit MTV to try to go to the networks. We went to CBS, and they fired us after one special. So uh, now the group was like, holy cow, did we just throw our career away? Uh, so we spent about a year trying to, you know, can we make a movie? Can we come up with another TV show? And it was just this period that all creative people go through of, oh, my gosh, what's next? We're on hiatus. We're we're at a low point now. Right. And that's when the backstabbing began. And that's when people were like, you know what? It's not worth it being. I, I could be more successful without you guys and yada, yada. And so the group, like the Beatles, you know. Yeah, right. No, it, but. It, yeah. It, if you look at the dissipation of the Beatles, it, it's a very similar thing where they. You know, they get yeah. the, their their manager dies, and now they're like, "Oh shit, what do we do?" And 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 they start to like be like, "You know what? Fuck you guys! I could be more successful without you." You know, where you really got to watch yourself with that kind of thing. Yeah, you really I think find ways to stay positive, and also competition in any creative field is ultimately what's going to ruin. I think any creative person, in a way. Like yeah, in, you ha- in the yeah. art world, you know, if you get somebody's going to get in the show and you're not, and then if you start thinking that your work isn't as good because it didn't get in that show, then um, you can't be thinking about that. You got to be thinking about the work, not who's approving it or liking it. You can only do what you do. 
Yeah, it's it's really hard to keep. Hard, it's a hard balance. That is really hard. hard. That is really yeah. hard. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to your intimacy issue because I really want to know more about that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, why? Like, I'm like wondering about like you came out when you were 24 and you came out publicly, right? Uh, yeah, when the show when when the state was on MTV, uh, yes, I we did a sketch called uh, "The Jew, the Italian, and the Redhead Gay," where it was the, the three guys playing those roles were obviously just those people, you know. So mm-hmm. it, it was a way of of being like, uh, you know, letting people know I'm gay. I mean, I I have this incredible history around coming out which is a which is one of the reasons that i created risk mm-hmm. because i've been upset i knew i was gay from the beginning of consciousness and that created long-term trauma i grew up in the 1970s in Cincinnati, Ohio, which at that time was incredibly conservative, very sex negative, very Republican, very mm-hmm. Roman Catholic. But what was your family like? Like, what was your experience at home? Well, you know, sex was just not talked about. Mm-hmm. Sex was like uh, the shameful sort of thing that should be swept did, under a rug. My did, mom was incredibly un- uncomfortable, even with the word sex. Mm. You know? uh, I remember... When I was 12 years old is when I came out to myself. When, when I was 12 years old, I finally said it out loud to myself. Said, wow. Okay. Wow. And, wow. And I remember thinking, okay, how do, when am I going to come out to my mom and dad about that? And that was 1982. Wow. Uh, Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye was the number one song at the time. <laughs> And it was playing on the radio. My mom came in to the kitchen where my sister and I were, I don't know what we were doing, you know. Eating. Something. And, and, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> she said, when that song comes on the radio, the radio goes off. <gasps> on the radio. Oh, man. So, I, were they I, religious? Churchgoers? Extreme, extremely developed. Was there hell? Was the was there potential hell in the in 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 the atmosphere there? Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh. I was raised understanding oh. that I would go to hell. I, oh. I I was I spent a lot of time wondering if I should go to confession to privately talk to priests. And then, <laughs> yeah, right. To. That that really would have done. That would have done very well yeah. there. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's no, no, incredible. I'm... It is incredible that I, you know, like for example, I was an altar boy. I was a choir boy. I went to the Royal School of Church Music in the summer times. So I was so immersed in Catholicism that I think that my awareness that I was gay was very potently uh, helpful to me because I think that a kid who. I mean, also, I was not the best-looking kid. <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I mean, those are adorable pictures, and you've got gorgeous blue eyes and red hair. Oh, my God. Okay. But I, think, I think my own awareness 
that I was gay, like, kept me protected from anything weird happening with adults. Right. Adults, when, right. when they prey on children, they're looking for kids who, uh, you know, are confused, don't, you know, don't know what's going on. You know what I mean? Right. Or, you know, feel especially vulnerable. So, but, but, anyway, but I don't know. I'm going to say that I bet that you exhibited like gay, te- gay, whatever that is, um, you know, gay juju, gay vibes before <laughs> you, when right. you were growing up, right? I mean, yeah. you're just whatever that is, right? Do you yep. think? Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But not in a way that adults would feel like, oh, I could, I could get one over. No, where adults could yeah. fucking, this makes me mad at, at adults because adults could fucking ignore it and let you deal with it instead of like making it, making it okay. Yeah. You know, yes, that yes, makes yes, me yes, mad yes. how, that how was, those adults was, are. Yeah. But they do the yeah. best they can. So, so, um, yeah. So you, so what, what happened, was that, did, like, did you, was being gay like a tangible thing? Like, did you know any gay people was being gay in like, I mean, I guess you could find it in the media, but was there any examples of it? Did, did it seem real or? What it was, was that I, it, it was, it, it was that I was right, right from the beginning when I was like a toddler, I recognized that I was physically attracted to boys. I like, especially boys, butts. I was like, Oh, my oh God, boys, butts. they're cute. And uh, <laughs> what happened was that, uh, you know, I started having experimental experiences with other boys, the way that kids do you know I'll show playing you doctor you show me my yeah all that kind of thing yeah mm-hmm. and so it was all becoming very crystallized to me and I, what i did was and this is um we might not get around to the story itself but no you know what i was thinking we should do that another time because we were going to do that in person and i think that really so. should be done and i you know and also i'm oh, having such fine. a great time hearing about you that when we do the story next time it'll be even better Right. So what what was there's a little idea covered in that story, which we're talking about right now, which is that I would I, I a friend of mine when I was five years old explained it to me, the kid, an older kid who lived next door. He said, Kevin, you know, when guys say gay and fag, uh, they mean stupid and lame and horrible and, you know, laughable and, you know, someone Mm -hmm. you don't want around. Mm -hmm. But the reason those words mean that is because they also mean a boy who likes boys. So that's why, that's where the connotation of being so awful comes from. So I was like, oh my God, I was like, okay, that totally clarifies it for me. I've got to hide. So it was your peers. It was your peers. Exactly. exactly yeah. It, it, you know, it was, it's, it, it's fascinating that, you know, people will use the excuse that when they say something is gay or that someone's a fag, oh, I didn't mean homosexual. I just meant awful and, and lame and horrible. Or yeah, right. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, it's... But, but that's why, it, you know, mm-hmm. because, the, because people associate, associate those things in their minds. So I grew up thinking, oh, my God, you know, I'm, if it ever comes out 
that I've got this thing hiding inside of me, then I'll lose my friends. I'll lose my family. I'll lose, you know, I'll be an outcast. So yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it's not even about being gay from from like, you know, it's about being different. It's about like, you know, like, I mean, it could be your sexuality. It could be that you like a kid that didn't ever want to have hair and shave their head every day and couldn't help it. You know what I mean? It could be anything like that. Oh, my gosh. I think Just being I think a freak. You were a freak. You were a freak exactly. in a really normal place. Exactly. And that is why risk affects people so much when they hear people coming out about whatever it might be, mm-hmm. you know, coming out about there was alcoholism in our family or coming out about um, uh, I yeah. got uh, yeah. with such and such a thing, um, is that if people have a tendency to think, oh, I'm the only person going through this right. thing, or right. oh, no one will like me if they learn blank about me. And that is if if you hold on to that kind of thinking too long and stay too secretive about anything for too long, it starts to traumatize you. It blows you know, up like, in your head. It, it gets way bigger and out of proportion. That's why I think exactly. it's... But I have a question. I want to get your opinion on... Um, so I have this theory, I mean, um, about the biology of being gay. And, mm-hmm. like, I think that... So I think that... Like, to me, this is, I, you know, as you know, I have no training of any sort, but, (laughs) but I mean, to me, it seems like being gay, not for everybody, but for you and for many, many other people, it's genetics, it's biology. So I think that, and you know, in, in nature, maybe, you know, the cavemen, maybe gay people didn't reproduce. Okay. But Mm -hmm. I think that because being gay has been repressed for so long, a lot of gay, let's say, just to talk, just to narrow it down, let's say a lot of gay men have gotten married and have families and have passed on the gay genetics. So I'm wondering, and I know brothers who are both gay and stuff like that, you know, and so I'm wondering, do you think there's any gay genetics in your family? Do you think maybe your father was repressed or any of your relatives? Do you ever think about that? Have you thought about that? Uh, Well, some of some of my relatives uh, definitely were. Uh, yeah, I really don't. I do think that I, I, I think that it's interesting to look at it now, now that the queer community is a lot more diver- the, que- the The whole queer community is a lot more diverse yeah. now, and people are really acknowledging the fluidity of things. Mm-hmm. I do think that there's nature and nurture involved. I do think that in my case, that I was definitely biologically gay from day one, that I came out of the womb as a, a little gay boy. And there's, there's a lot of, inf- there's a lot of scientific material that shows that the hypothalamus is different, mm-hmm. for, you know, the mm-hmm. gay men and yada, that. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I do think that there's a biological thing there for a lot of people. But then again, there are a lot of people. I I think that my therapist at least says that women tend to be more have more neuroplasticity around sexuality mm. that women are more likely not to get 
super stuck on a fetish or a type. Mm, that makes uh, sense. Or, yeah, and, and that women are a little bit more open to new possibilities or, or, or suddenly being attracted to someone where they're like, what the hell? I, I didn't know I'd end up attracted to someone like that. Right. Whereas men are a little bit less fluid. Yeah. And kind of get that makes sense. In, in stuff. Um, ba, 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 ba. So, yeah, I do think that there's there's a there's nature and nurture involved in it, but that I myself, I, I think that I was very genetically uh, mm-hmm. mapped that way from the mm-hmm. beginning. I have no idea about how it might be passed from generation to generation. Right. Like that, yeah. yeah. So how did your family wind up? Um, they obviously know you're gay. They had they wind up accepting it or how? What happened? They did. It was it was it was hard. I, I knew my father is like for him Catholicism was all about the Aquarian kind of Christ, the uh, the you know merciful, compassionate oh. everyone. So my father was like his. He was a huge fan of Martin Luther King and people like oh wow he was he was into social activism and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so he was enlightened very Mm -hmm. uh, immediately he was like oh great I figured we'd probably have a gay kid (laughs) (laughs) what a great sense of humor five children oh you wow I, I figured one of them might be so anyway, but my mom, uh, she, uh, so what I did was I waited until I was 18 years old and I waited until it was a few days before I was going to go to NYU. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so oh. What I was doing was I wanted to make sure the plane tickets were bought and, you know, the, the, the tuition. The, so you, know, you were afraid to tell her. You were afraid to tell her. I was. I really was. Um, because I just didn't know how she would react considering that she just didn't like the idea of talking about sex at all. You know? Did your brothers or sisters, how many kids? There's five, you say? Did yeah. they know? Did, do you think they know? Uh, no, you know, it's what? really interesting because I, when I came out to my brother, I came out to my brothers and sisters a while later. In fact, it was what? interesting. After your mother? It's, wow. Yeah, I came out to my parents before I came out to wow. my brothers and sisters. That's yeah, weird. Which is really or- kind of interesting and odd when I think back on it. Like, I'm very close to my little sister, mm-hmm. but... When I was 18, I guess she was 15. Yes, she was, I, you know, she was young. So I think I was uh, worried about coming out to her. Right. My older brothers and sisters, I was not as close to them. So I just Mm -hmm. had no idea how they'd react. Well, it turned out they were all completely fine. They (laughs) they didn't care at all. They didn't care, right? Uh, No. Right. Right. It was only my mom for which it was a struggle at first. You know, she cried a lot. She, She asked me if I would maybe consider joining the priesthood in order to kind of escape all that. Um, and, and you know, it was interesting because I talk about the Jekyll and Hyde thing that shows up uh, in risk and everything like mm-hmm. that, that, that there was always a part I was hiding and that mm. you know, well, I became a comedian as a defense mechanism 
for feeling like I was so different and weird inside. I became like when I was, I remember in first grade, I really realized that it was valuable to establish myself as the class clown Mm. because I I kind of intuitively realized they're going to laugh at me one day. Everyone's Mm going to laugh at me and call me names and like think I'm weird. So if I can make them laugh, if I can control the reason they're laughing at me, um, then maybe they'll be like, okay, we accept him because he's, he's, he's allowed to be weird. Well, it's like you're calling it out. You're calling it out first. So everybody's okay with it. Right. So, um, uh, so my mom, we wouldn't have conversations throughout my childhood about sex, but we would have conversations throughout my whole childhood. Do you have to be such a nonconformist? Oh, no. Uh, Yeah. She would be like, do you have to be so different? Do you have to like be so expressive? Do you have to, uh, you know, like say things that other make other people uncomfortable, yada, yada. So, yeah. And and I think that that might've been, Sublimation. I think that we might have oh. actually been having the conversation about my sexuality when really we weren't. Oh, well, she so was. A, did, that's a really repressive message, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So when I did, I do remember like a week after I came out to her, um, like right before I went to NYU, we were driving in the car and she said, are you sure you're not just doing this whole gay thing <gasps> as another attempt to be a nonconformist? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. The poor so, woman. The poor, like, I've got compassion for her. That's a very small, like, that's a very small box that she has, is up. Put, put herself in, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean... Well, I think that that's super common. I mean, I have I have a ton of compassion for my mom as well because my mom dearly loves me and loves mm-hmm. all of her children. Like, right. her, take, taking care of her whole family Five is kids. everything to my mom. And, and so she really was concerned that uh, being gay would be hard for me, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. She, she was concerned that people wouldn't like me because of it. Yeah, right? and also, like, you had the vision, you probably had it somewhere in you, like, you wound up, like, moving to New York and making so much happen, but if I was, you know, as a mom, you would be looking at, like, a boy, and you wouldn't be imagining that. You'd be imagining him in Cincinnati and... Trying to get oh, a job at you know General Mills or whatever whatever Hallmark cards or whatever's out there. You know what I mean? Like exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's you know I think I think sometimes people will share stories on risk. Like a woman just pitched a story to us about uh, her mom being very overbearing and negative and critical and, and mm-hmm. she finally decided to cut her mom out of her life. And it was a very rewarding story. I mean, I, I, I often, I was kind of rooting for her at the mm-hmm. end of that story that she shared because I was like, yeah, that, that it does really sound like you should get your mom out of your life. Yeah. Some of the nasty things her mom was saying to her her whole life long. Um, 
But I don't feel that way about my mom. I, I have very mixed feelings. I feel like, oh, yeah, there was, it, like you were saying before, she was doing the best. She, she understood how to be doing. She- you know yeah, I mean? she sounds like she comes from like a really good place, good-hearted, a loving place. She just doesn't have like the the range of experience to really understand what you're talking about sort of thing. Exactly, exactly, yeah. which leaves a person like me, you know, like years later when I had that Jungian therapist who was kind of sex negative and kind of reminded yeah. me in some ways of my mom, like it leaves a person like me realizing, oh, there is still this archetypal energy in my head. There's still this super ego kind of voice that is saying, do you have to be such a nonconformist? And are you, aren't you kind of a freak? And shouldn't you be ashamed of yourself? <laughs> That's probably why sex is so much fun for you, because it's all on your terms. You know, it's you don't have you don't have any frame of reference for it. It's all on. You know, what you, you, you don't have anybody, like, it's all brand new. It was like a new thing that you could get, you know, make your yeah. shape, right? It continues. Ex- whole exploration. Like, like an act of rebellion. To Kevin, like this yeah, went, I'm so sorry to interrupt you. This went so fast. Can you believe it? We have two minutes. Oh, my God, yeah. Yes, and no, so fun. You, I really enjoyed this. So fun. So I want you to tell us like where we can like go and see all your stuff and tell us. And then I've got to do tell people about Radio Free Brooklyn. So go, go ahead. Okay. Sure. You can find the Risk Podcast wherever audio podcasts are hosted. But the best place to go is risk-show.com. And then you can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Risk Show. And then on Twitter and Instagram. And you have a book. Yeah, we have the Risk book, which is like some of our very best stories we've ever had on the show. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Kevin, thank you so, so much. Um, And I'm going to like tell, I now have to do my Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you for listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Um, We are the greatest station in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, We are um, always doing new things. Get our newsletter we have monthly meetings and mixers, free beer, free pizza. You can find out about that at radiofreakbrooklyn.org slash newsletter. You can also, we also have a mobile app so you can like listen to us anytime you want to and get a great mix. We have everything on this station. It's a really, really great station. And stick around because our programming this afternoon is fabulous. 